This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, it's David Averin, and welcome to the Why Customers Leave podcast. You know, we all know that innovation is happening at light speed. New technologies that allow for better and faster ways of connecting with customers and expediting transactions. But one of the biggest challenges that innovators face in bringing new technology to market is that too often new tech doesn't play nice with old tech. Well, my guest today is using AI and low code to bring new technologies to industry 17 times faster than traditional approaches. I'm talking today with tech entrepreneur and e-commerce pioneer, John Nordmark, CEO and co-founder of Iterate.ai, about how a new generation of artificial intelligence and technologies will revolutionize customer engagement. It's David Averin on the Why Customers Leave podcast, back in 20 seconds. Are you ready to future-proof your business? Well, sit back because customer experience expert David Averin brings you the Why Customers Leave podcast, featuring outspoken thought leaders and business builders as they share their creative strategies for serving a new generation of customers and clients. Listen in, or you can watch the video version of the conversation. Now, here's David Averin. Hi, thanks, and welcome to the Why Customers Leave podcast. Um, you know, I'm really good at the, at the customer experience, the communication part of all of this. You know, it's always sort of eluded me is the technology. It's, it's not that I'm, I'm not a Luddite. Uh, I'm not that I'm bad with technology, but I'm really good at, at utilizing the technology without really understanding where it all comes from. Now, understand this is coming from a guy whose father was a, an actual rocket scientist. I mean, my father <laughs> invented the first cameras that ever took pictures on the surface of another planet. He worked on the camera systems for Viking, went up in the, in the 70s, he worked wow. on Jupiter missions. Me, I was a cheerleader in college. So clearly it skips a generation. But, <laughs> but what I like to do is surround myself with people who really understand the, uh, the technologies and the methodologies behind the, the capabilities. And so I'm excited to, to, uh, to talk to a friend of mine today. Um, and, and I've all uh, admission, I've, I've known him for, from way back because our, our kids were in, in preschool together. But at the time, he was the CEO of one of the biggest early e-commerce giants, e-bags. And so I'll do a quick introduction and then we'll officially say, I know I'm sort of rambling at the beginning, um, but John Nordmark is the co-founder and CEO of Iterate.ai. He was also the co-founder and CEO of eBags for 10 years as, as CEO from 2001 to 2008. They sold almost one and three quarters billion dollars worth of bags and luggage. And, uh, and it, it was one of the early days. And what was interesting is part of the background, and maybe he'll tell us about that as well. He's working at Samsonite. He had an idea to do this. They said, uh, no thanks. So he went and did it himself. And ultimately, Samsonite bought him for over uh, $100 billion. So one of those great success stories. <clears throat> but he's taken that success and he's helped other technology startups um, and others to bring their products to market. And in doing so, has developed some amazing software. We're going to talk about that as well. So a quick welcome to John Nordmark. Thanks for being with us on the show. Thank you, David. And I love the story. I'm, I'm a little bit like you, by the way. I'm, I'm not, I don't write the code. 
but I uh, admire the people that do, and I feel like I'm an interpreter of their stories. <laughs> yeah, but 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 you know you know what you want to accomplish, and, oh, yeah. and fortunate yeah. for all of us is yeah. there are some wicked smart people in the world, and, yeah. and the key is they're all over the world, aren't they? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like we have them in Sri Lanka and India, in Silicon Valley, in Colorado. Uh, they are all over the world. So talk to us real quickly, just a little bit about your background and what happened with eBags and what you learned during all of that and what led you to working with technology startups and sort of creating that software that created that go-between and the problems that you're solving today. Give us a little bit of background. Well, at eBags, we were we were known as an early adopter of and uh, of technology. So we were one of the first online retailers to uh, become profitable. Uh, we we did it in the during the dot bomb, like in two thousand one. Uh, Business Week recognized us, Amazon, Overstock, and Blue Nile as the first four that really made it. And uh, <laughs> but we did it by experimenting, and it was all due to kind of the combination of the creative thinking uh, that the merchants and marketers brought to the table, as well as the creative thinking from the technologists. But the, the technologist people, uh, their ability to kind of invent uh, methods of that we wanted to experiment with. So one of the things we wrote early on at, at eBags was a uh, AB split test platform. And it, it was a guy named Val Augustino. He was a young engineer, probably 26 years old. He came to my office late one night and he said, I think I know how to save the company because that's what we were trying to figure out how to do. Like, sure. become profitable. It was either become profitable or die. You know, we either move from a, be, being an adventure to a business or we die. <laughs> and uh, so I asked Val, what, what is it, you know, that'll make us profitable? And he said, you know, you know, like you're a marketer, David. Um, yeah. You know, when you send one um, letter to a customer with one headline and to a similar customer, you send a different headline and you, you measure which one does the best. He said, what if we could do that with our website, like on every page? And I said, we could do that. And he said, I, I think we could. And so I said, how? And he said, well, if you give me three weeks, I think I could write the software. I just, so I said, oh my gosh, go home and don't come back. Like until it's done. I don't remember if he came back to work or not, but he did write the software and we became an AB split test machine. So we probably did, I, I don't know, like a thousand tests and we were able to move the conversion rate on our website. The people that come to the website and buy as a percentage uh, every time from about 0.7% when we started to um, on a monthly basis, 13% on a daily wow. basis. About five, six. So, so how do you do that? I mean, we, I think we're, we're familiar with the concept of yeah. A-B testing, right? You send yeah. a couple of different ones, measure which one works, devote your resource to that direction. How do you mm -hmm. do it on a website? Is it that every time they go, they're mm -hmm. seeing a different website or different, or do you yeah. have, I mean, tell us how you did that. Uh, let's say you and me are lookalikes. And uh, we know that, you know, when you come in, we're able to measure like where you come from. Are you coming through an affiliate site? Are you coming through Google? Are you coming through, are you right. coming directly? We segment all that traffic out, and then um, you will get a different, and it's always very contained, you know, scientifically, like maybe all we're testing is how many pictures you see. We, and that was one of the tests we did, you know, is it okay to show four pictures or do you need to do seven? Or, you know, how does a video impact the, the sales? Right. Um, you might get a video and I don't, um, but it's all controlled like that. And then we're able to measure, and it usually took 
you know, it, it depends on you get you got to do it scientifically. So you got to wait for a certain amount of traffic to come in. Make it statistically and, valid. Yeah. Right. And, and um, you know, and we were able to determine way early on, you had to have like seven pictures. Or I think that was the number. You couldn't do it with four or five. And this was important to us because it costs more money to shoot more pictures. You know, we did all the photography in-house. We had a, a photo uh, machine, basically. Right. A, a production line of photography with real photographers at base. And so the fewer photos we shot, the the less money it cost us, but we realized to get a high conversion rate, you need seven photos. And um, so anyway, that's what we did. And and um, and then when a test concluded, if if it was significantly positive, we would make the change for everybody. If it was negative, you know, we would just stay with the control. Now, to, and, I, and I would assume I, today, it, yeah, I would assume yeah, today yeah. that's table stakes with yeah, the level it, of analytics that they do. Yeah. But the funny thing is, I, I think that we were a machine because it was life death. Like if you were a big company, um, it didn't really matter. Like, a, a, you know, the company economics are already set. It's working. Let's say you're a big retailer. You know, it's working. So I, the employees of a place like that may not have the impetus or the <laughs> the in, the life or death desire to make testing a high speed you know, priority. Sure. And um, and at eBags though we had to because if we didn't make it work we we all lost our jobs. And- well, well, you talked about sort of this was in the in the in the dot com bust time. Yeah. Very few were profitable because of course the mindset had changed from the 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 goal the the measurement being clicks to actually being right. sales that drove profitability. What a yeah. concept! But it was such a false premise in the early days that there were very few that really had had mastered that connection between sales and profitability. Yeah. And it was, you know, I remember um, there were so many metrics because we could measure so many things. And I mean, it sounds so basic today, but we sat right. down and remember many discussions or what are about like, what are the five things we really need to pay attention to? Gross margin was one, um, you know, which is obvious, I guess, to most people today. But back then it wasn't. I mean, and, and that's evident by the failure rate of all the, you know, Tons of startups imploded back in those days, uh, but it was it was stuff like gross margin, not really revenue, but the gross margin we produced. The um, the conversion rate was mission critical, and so everything we did was to try to improve the conversion rate relative to the gross margin, and you know, and 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 gradually, to, but but relatively fast, we were able to to get there. And I, I remember in the beginning, we were selling um, for every dollar of revenue we were getting we were spending like $2. Right. And, <laughs> and as was true with many, many in the yeah. day, but it was that acceptable losses. Early days, Amazon was very much like that as well. Yeah. And for us, a, a dollar in revenue was really 30 cents in, in gross margin. So it would be like, you know, for every $2 we're spending in marketing, we'd get 30 cents in, in gross margin. And right. that's the, the recipe for implosion. Right. And, uh, but within two years, we got it down to, I mean, we had $13 in revenue for every $1 market or $2 in marketing spend. And, and that's how we lived. And that's how we became profitable. But it was like, it, it was just methodically going after that. And that, that required many tests. Like we were a testing machine. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and, and I learned during that, David, too, that it didn't matter where you went to school, how smart you were, you couldn't predict what a consumer was going to do. The only way to do it was through testing. 
And uh, we and there, we used to run tests, like not not bets, but we'd all bet like who's going to win this test? Is it going to be A or B? And uh, it didn't matter again, like your background, uh, you couldn't pick. And I so I always told people, I know this, like I'm going to give you an opinion, but I know I'm only right half the time. Right. So right. What's well, the old line with marketing? Like we know yeah. half our dollars are, are are wasted. We just don't know which half. The difference is today they do. So talk yeah. to me about your learning coming from that that made you, let's be honest, sought after as, as a mentor for others as well, and how that brought you to tech startups and, and some of those entities? Um, well, you know, it, I was lucky, and I, I think I've been lucky many times in my life. And um, because eBags worked, and, and we raised money from pretty famous venture capitalists back in the day, right? Uh, people looked at my company and and me as knowing what we were doing and uh i think that's how i became <laughs> a mentor i i've you know i've mentored probably hundreds that's literally the number like of startups and entrepreneurs and all over the world and um uh but all all that is based on is just a lot of experience and i know this i'm way more I'm a way better mentor today than I probably was back when people sought me early on. Yeah, I, I think a lot of us look that way. But, yeah. but it also brought you to a place of recognizing what was missing in this ecosystem of oh, yeah. entrepreneurs and tech entrepreneurs. Talk to us about, connect that, because I want to talk about iterate.ai as well. Okay. Talk to me about what you were doing, what you realized was a deficiency in the system, and how you set about addressing that. Well, eBags, again, it was recognized as being one of the early adopters of technologies from other companies a lot. And, uh, you know, we were a retailer, an online retailer, uh, but we used many, many uh, solutions that were built by other, other startups uh, that would help improve conversion rates. We were always seeking companies that could find traffic, conversion rates, you know, whatever it was. Um, and, and so because of that, I just became, I became really intrigued by companies that built really interesting technologies. And, uh, you know, one was called Live Clicker. It was just a way to do video on uh, product detail pages. You know, I became very close friends with the founders of that company and always admired what they were doing. Another one was called Indeca by Steve Papa, who sold his company for over a billion dollars to, to Indeca, and, but it was navigation software. It's like unsexy, no one would know the name, but it was just so intriguing to me. And, and we were able to, you know, identify that it improved conversion rates. Another one was Omniture, which Adobe it went public and Adobe bought it. But it was, anyway, these, these people at these companies taught me how technology can really improve businesses and make them, you know, turn them from ventures into businesses. And, and that's why I, you know, when I was done with eBags, I sought people that could build software. Um, and I, I got really lucky and found this guy, Brian Sathy and Nathan in the Ukraine. <laughs> who could, you know, who could, who became ultimately my partner at Iterate. Um, yeah, so that's kind of how I, I, you know, how I became intrigued with software startups um, and moved from retail into software. Talk to us about the, the problem you saw, right? The best businesses, yeah. uh, there's no shortage of businesses that are, are solutions looking for a problem, right? Here's a new capability, yeah, do we need it? There was a real gap um, with, uh, in, in finding some of these, these early stage tech companies and connecting right. them with others who could 
um, work synergistically with them or help them grow. Talk to me about that gap and how you sought to to close that gap. Well, Iterate discovered kind of two major gaps, and they happened at two different times. The first one, uh, Brian and I were both uh, board members of a, a, start, a startup accelerator, like a Techstars, in, mm-hmm. in Kiev, in Ukraine. And um, we started working there in 2011. It wasn't full-time. We'd go there you know, three times a year, four times a year for four days. Uh, this is where we got to know each other, but it was toward the end of that in like the beginning in 2013, where I don't remember if it was Brian or me that said it, but, uh, or, or another guy named Igor Shofite who recruited us there. He, he a, a good friend. Anyway, um, Brian and I thought, man, the, the world of tech startups is the barrier to entry has become brains, not capital. So back when eBag started, it cost you know millions of dollars to start a company because a, a digital startup because you had to write all the code from scratch, right. there were no code libraries. You didn't have you had to buy all your servers. I mean, buy them, you know, fifty thousand dollars each. There was no cloud, right? There was no cloud. It was the back room. Yeah, it cost a fortune. So a young guy like myself with no savings had to go raise money to build a company like that. Well, when Brian and I were working in, in Ukraine, we realized that. All the, the, the people that were building there, the country's poor. I mean, it was poor prior to the war. It's sure it, the people didn't have money to buy servers. They couldn't raise money. Yet these really smart people were building um, software SaaS products on Amazon's cloud, on AWS, and they had no money. Right. And they're working out of their homes. Yeah. And they were working out of mom and dad's home. And, yeah. you know, and, and or a lot of times that's the way it was. That's how they are in a lot of those. Uh, sure. But. Brian and I, and they were coming from Belarus, Kazakhstan, uh, Moldova, wherever. And uh, Brian and I were like, my gosh, I mean, they're able to produce amazing tech with no money and deploy it anywhere in the world. So that's when we decided we had to build a way for large organizations to find these um, unique technologies. And we became sort of a a tech provider for that. We have a database of 16.2 million companies now, and we we can find Make solutions from all over the world that large organizations can engage with. And then we sort of became a consultancy on top of that, helping, helping big companies find these really unique solutions all over the world. But then the second problem we found, and this was maybe even, well, more important in a sense, was that um, large organizations, they have IT departments that are, you know, tons of money uh, behind them. But they operate on technologies that have built, been built 10, 15, 20 years ago, you right. know, and continually patched. Yeah, yeah, from IBM or whatever. They've got old Oracle, you know, databases, uh, SAP, and even Salesforce today in a lot of cases would be considered a little bit older technology. But anyway, they're all operating on these massive, complex tech stacks. And if you had something new that you wanted to test, going back to my eBay set, like if you wanted to test something new and, and be fast at testing, you couldn't do it because you'd have to get in line, you know, in the, the IT department has priorities that were often set in a, you know, in all their strategy meetings in, right. in the fall of the prior year. And if you weren't on that list, you just had to get in line and wait for a year. So Brian, my co-founder, who's, who's a remarkable like technologist, um, he, he, you know, he worked in Apple secret products in the early days, uh, which is, you know, he, he has patents on the first iPhone. He, he worked wow. on a tiny team that built that thing and invented it. 
Anyway, he said to me, John, I think I know how to fix this. What if we build, you know, a, a middleware, a connective tissue really between the legacy stack that exists in enterprise today and the startup ecosystem where all the AI and IoT and, you know, uh, emerging technologies are being built? And what if we could connect them without having to even talk to the IT team? And, um, and I said, again, like Val, we could do that. <laughs> <laughs> right. And he built it like he built it while he was on vacation, the beginning of it. And he was at a wedding for two weeks and, and uh, he built the beginning of what we call Interplay, which is now 95% of our revenue. And it's, it's a remarkable tool. No, a tool, I can't call it a tool, platform. Right, right, platform. So is it, yeah. is it like a skeleton key? I mean, is the idea that this can work with any system or mm -hmm. is it is the magic of it? Because there's no shortage of companies that have tried to build interfaces to help you talk to, to legacy technology. What's unique? Um, and talk to us about low code for, for others who are unindoctrinated. Uh, un yeah. yeah, what's unique about it? it? One piece is the low code. And, and there are other low code platforms, like you just said, but they tend to be workflow platforms. They're right. relatively, I don't want to call them unsophisticated because they're, they're great at what they do. But, but we have a, a far more sophisticated coding capability within our low-code platform that allow, like we have tons of AI nodes built into it, built by people with PhDs in, you know, in swarm computing right. you know, that, that does, and you can modify it within the platform. But in any event, um, one really interesting thing about, uh, well, low-code means drag and drop. Right. So our platform consists of, uh, 600-ish uh, nodes. So they're little containers, little that you can see, visible containers. And if you think of it like a basketball um, floor or a hockey rink, uh, all these unused code nodes sit in the boxes on the side of the playing field. And what you can do is you can drag the players out. So these nodes, these containers out onto the playing field. And when you drag them out there, just like in a basketball game or a hockey game, they activate, you know, they start working and you can bring out their, their friends and, uh, you know, bring out another node and put it in there and then you can connect them through lines. And because of that, we're able to develop so software by using pre-built containers. Uh, then we can modify them a little bit. Uh, but then on, and, and because of that, uh, we can move at just an incredible speed. So, an example of that, we, we were working with a $60 billion company in, you know, that does um, convenience store fuel type uh, sure. sale. And uh, they needed a way for uh, people to check out of a gas station to check in basically with their license plate in their car, but to check out using the cameras, you know, to activate the pump using the camera, kind of frictionless checkout within a. Absolutely. A yeah, and we built the whole thing in three weeks. A, a big consultancy thought they could do a prototype that they were told that it, the, the, big, the enterprise was told that it would take about a year and over a million dollars to build it. And we built the whole thing in three weeks for $75,000. And it's now operating in like 4,000 edge locations over in Europe. Um, that's so, what low code it, does. Yeah, well, and it's amazing because... Um, as I sort of said in the introduction, and as I've reviewed the site and and looking at how this applies, as you had said, there's there's no shortage of brain power around the world, but there are there are gaps in the system that that create um, 
delay, that create friction, that create, uh, right? And so somebody's got a great new technology, a new capability that organizations can tap into. If they have to stand in line to even test it, if they have challenges of getting the system to talk to each other, there's a big delay in implementation and yeah. being a benefit for customers. And we know in this marketplace, every bit of delay, somebody else is jumping in. So you actually help those companies bring those, those new technologies, capabilities to enterprise. Well, as the site says, 17 times faster. That's astonishing. Yeah, it's, and, and that's what we see again and again. It's anywhere from two to 17 times. The 17 sure. fastest we've kind of got documented, but um, a lot of times it's two, three, four. But still, it, it, you know, if you can do it four times faster, you can do four times as many tests. The, the scary thing for developers is they feel like it might be four times more work, but it really, it's, it's less work. It, it's kind of right. like the right. chat GPT that's coming out today where we're, we're actually seeing the same thing. We're now able to create nodes on our website. Uh, it used to take six to eight hours per person per node. Guess what? You know, we're down to like six minutes. And wow. um, yeah, if, if we need, it's just, you know, everything is becoming more accessible. But on the speed, even with the checkout, like in that store, what you have to be able to do, like at a convenience store, you have to be able to recognize the car within milliseconds, not three seconds, four seconds. Right. You have to be able to turn the pump on in milli milliseconds using the cameras basically to detect in milliseconds, not three, four seconds. You have to be able to process the payment also really fast. And in order to do that, we've had to do a lot of really interesting tech work behind the scenes at a kernel level where we're modifying, you know, um, code at the ones and zeros operating system level. And uh, so that we can do two things. One, operate on an edge instance, do an AI on, on an edge instance. That means in the store, not on the Amazon cloud or Google cloud. Uh, so that's really unique about our platform. We're one of the only in the world that we think can do that. We're a partner with NVIDIA, you know, because of those capabilities. Um, and then we can also, we've also written, we've got patents on uh, an ability to process data in a parallel way, you know, where you have parallel processing happening, uh, which makes it incredibly fast too. And the, the people that invented that are the guys out of our X, out of Apple, you know, the, right. the, secret product guys. Yeah. Uh, so it takes some real tech to create these experiences that are okay for the, or not okay, but better for the consumer. Sure. Uh, well, and, and ultimately that that's the ones who will benefit. Are you also finding the ability as you're, it was, they say you sort of build it once and you sell it a hundred times that every time you do a new unique process that allows a faster, more personalized engagement experience, well, now you've done it. Now you can find a way to apply that to so many industries because that's what we're seeing, right? We're seeing yeah. is, is people industries learning from others. Yeah. They're able to they're able to track that. They're able to give visibility. How does that apply to our industry? Well, if you look at our website, you're so right, David, because um, we can build a technology for the banking industry. Let's just say in Asia, and it can apply to retailers in the United States. And an, an example, and you can see that on our website, I, I've talked to investors and we have very few investors, like, uh, I mean, no professional investors outside of a street. A nice, nice position to be in early on. A, an amazing position to be in and because it allows us to be nimble. But I've, I've talked to um, venture capitalists who've said, we think you're in too many industries. And I'm like, uh, sorry, we're, we're going to keep going into more. I have no Absolutely. interest in talking to you anymore. Like you're too old school. You know, right. uh, and and the thing is, we're a platform that can serve many, many industries. So 
with um, we're able to do extraction of data out of paper documents and do classification like on the fly using AI. We're able to find fraud. We're able to so for a, the banking industry over in uh, Asia, in Singapore, Malaysia, um, Japan, we're building technology to do that, and uh, we built it already. And so that's very interesting to them because they can process documents a lot faster. They can pull information out of one document, automatically put it into another. It can come out of emails, out of forms, out of PDFs, you know, whatever, and then move the data in where they need it. And well, so and that capability, thing. I think to your point, that capability Anywhere. Is, is needed by so many other industries. Yeah. So who cares? Like if, yeah. if, if we have a retail customers, why not show it to them? Like, here's what we did what, for banking. Would this be helpful to you? It's interesting when you talk about sort of VCs and sort of the old way of thinking, but the old way of thinking is, is the, is the idea of specialization, right? You, you got to have that niche. You got to have that, that expertise that you have that sole source. But here's what I like about your approach is there, there's a different school of thought today, which is we're not specializing in the industries we serve. We're specializing in the services we provide and we're yeah. applying it across a variety of your, your expertise, your specialization is in what you do, not who you do it for. And I think it's an absolutely valid market position. And, and that's a great way to say it. And, and to your point, also the one you made before, we're then, we become a creative resource for um, companies in a variety of industries because they can ask us, what are you seeing, you know? in automotive what are you seeing in that was my next question yeah. so so keep going you have a unique insight um and the, the time limited, limited time we have left you have unique insight into a variety of industries so for our viewers and listeners small business owners entrepreneurs and others who are looking for insights to make good strategic decisions what do you see coming down the pike what are some of the the cool new uh capabilities amenities processes that is important for people to understand from what you're seeing, give us, pull out the crystal ball. Well, the thing that's everyone's talking about right now is this open AI, chat GPT, you know, large language models. And uh, that is a huge, huge deal. Um, and, and we're all over it because we can, we can do things like build private large language models that, that is, so for instance, um, um, the, the banks in Asia, Every one of them is looking at this right now. We've probably talked to 10 banks over there. Uh, but they have, they have no interest of processing data on the cloud. They can't. They have to be secure and private. So what's right. really interesting for us is that we can process all that data on the edge, on their premise, in, in any environment they want. We just need to train the data, you know, which is becoming a lot more easy to do. All the large language models are morphing and changing so much. It's right. anyway. That's one huge trend is, is that, and it'll impact everything. Like, and like I said earlier, we could, in certain cases where it took us six to eight hours to write code, we can do it in six minutes now and edit it. Um, I mean, think of that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, early, earlier development, earlier testing, yeah. faster to market yeah. allows those working strategically within organizations to deploy new amenities, capabilities faster. Yeah. And, and then another thing is edge compute. Ed, the edge has become really important. So, you know, everyone used to have their own AS400 in their office or what, what it, uh, you know, like right. or, um, the compute was at Samsonite when I worked there in the 1990 or 95, you know, it had all the compute in their office in a cold room. <laughs> 
then data centers came about, you know, and, and, you know, it changed a little bit, but then the cloud came and everyone tried to move to the cloud or a lot of companies did. Well, now the it's moving back and every little gas station, every little store, every little bank will be able to process every car processes data, AI data on the edge or can do that. And uh, so I think a lot of this um, uh, edge computing will become more and more important, but edge computing in the world of AI, you know, where it can take a product and the product can start having a memory. It can start making decisions for a person. It can part, it can start making recommendations and the data never needs to go to the cloud. So that means it stays private, like on your wrist or in your car. It stays, you know, uh, it, it, it's special uh, in that world. For enterprise, is it going to require, especially for smaller enterprise, is it going to require a new level of skill set to, to manage and fix the technology? I, I was talking to somebody who was, yeah. who was worked with one of, the, one of the major, one of the top three um, fast food chains. And they say part of their challenge was as they're moving to technology, touchscreens and others, now their 16-year-olds have to be able to be able to handle when the system goes down. They used to have to know how to work the register. Now they need to know how to get the touchscreen back up and running. Is that going to create a whole new level of challenges or is that yeah. still going to be managed um, offsite? Yeah, I, I think it creates uh, some challenges. I mean, certainly I think that's another, that's another uh, trend that you're asking. It's upskilling. It's it's continuous learning. Like we're in a world that is changing so fast. Right. It's not going to slow down. Like the to survive and thrive in in our new world, your kids and my kids uh, will just have to be continuous learners. Heck, maybe you you and me too. But, right. but especially our kids. Well, and, but here's the thing: is our our kids though are, are technology natives. What we're yeah. hearing these challenges right now with all these great new technologies coming down is those who are 60, 65 and older of organizations having to really focus on omni-channel, right? They've got the new technologies. We've got to have an, op an off-ramp to the real person, right? Yeah. We've got to give the option so they're not screaming, agent, real person, real person, right? Yeah. Uh, into the phone. And so yeah. we're sort of, we are very much in that transition time, aren't we? And that's what the, yeah. And that's what the large language models and all the, um, pro the training them within private data sets, you know, um, which we're working on now with large organizations, you know, kind of trying to combine the the public data with the private data that they'll never want going into the open AI systems, you know, and then turn that into a talking machine. But right. but your point back with the um, the 16 year old that has to maintain the store. Uh, one thing that we built for one company is what we call a store coach. And you can coach people through those things, I think, through other types of technology like oh it's not working you just you, you put it into the store coach our st the store coach we built does stuff like does inventory it, it'll watch inventory through the cameras uh, you know in the store so it could count hot dogs cups um wow you can look for spills it can count the number of people going into the bathroom and then it just alerts the store man the store person if there's only one there oh we've had 10 people go in the restroom you should check it you know to make sure it's clean now is that going to go on our social profile our, our public took this much time in the restroom at Arby's because <laughs> I don't want that out. Nobody no, I don't think know that level of social currency. And yeah, yeah we it doesn't do the timer, but it'll do the, <laughs> the number of ins and outs. There you go. 
But anyway, that's a helpful tool for the store associate where it can train them kind of on the fly to do certain things. And um, so I think there'll be a lot of opportunities for, you know, uh, to help keep people, to upskill people and, and help walk them through certain processes. Yeah, this is fascinating. I, we're going to we're going to check in on a regular basis because because <laughs> things are changing so fast. And for anybody who goes to the website, you can get see that the, the names of some of the very big companies and organizations that they work with, the ones who look to you to help them bridge that gap and 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 create those those faster adoptions uh, and technology integrations. Um, real quickly, if people want to get in touch with you, once again, talking to John Nordmark from Iterate.ai. How do people learn more about you and the organization and get in touch with you? Yeah, an easy way is just on LinkedIn. Um, I I look at that regularly, and but it's John J O N at iterate.ai. It just email me too. Thank Outstanding. You. This is this is so cool. Um, it's like I said, we're gonna we're gonna touch base later on and and keep everybody up to date on on the latest changes. Um, I will remind everybody. Hang on, by the way, we'll talk on the other side. Okay. Uh, you can pick up a copy of, of my new book, which is here somewhere. There it is. It's called The Morning Huddle. Why um, Powerful customer experience conversations to wake you up and shake you up and win more business. In fact, all of my books are available on Amazon, most of them in audiobook as well. Be sure to click to like this podcast, subscribe, uh, and click the little bell. You'll get notification of new episodes. And be sure to leave a comment below. And uh, once again, click the little bell icon as well. You can learn more about my keynote speaking and consulting at davidaverin.com. Thanks for tuning in to the Why Customers Lead podcast. Remember to leave a comment and a big thanks to my guest, John Nordmark. I'm David Averin. Be good. This has been the Why Customers Leave podcast with David Averin. Be sure to leave a comment and click the like button. You can listen to or watch past episodes and be notified of future ones by hitting the subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform or check them out on David Averin's YouTube channel. David's popular books are all available online and also in Kindle and audiobook form as well. You can learn more about David's keynote speaking and business consulting at davidaverin.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.